Hi, I'm Chester Wisniewski with Sophos, and I'm here today to talk to you about our security threat report for 2014, Smarter, Shadier, and Stealthier Malware. And it's actually a pretty interesting read, and I'm here with my colleague and friend, John Shire. Welcome back to the podcast, John. Thanks, Chet. It's always good to have you on one of our Sophos podcasts, and uh, I'm pretty excited about this year's threat report. I mean, we've got some really good research in here, kind of covering all the different areas. You know, in the past, a lot of folks said, yeah, you know, everything's about Windows and this kind of thing. And there's a lot going on in the security space for all of these devices that surround us. And, you know, I kind of wanted to start out by talking about botnets. I mean, this is a bit of a traditional Windows thing, but wow. I mean, we, we saw some some battles of the botnets, if you will. You know, Microsoft went to court and uh, was able to to attack a, a, the zero access botnet, which is a very large botnet that Sophos security researchers have been looking at for years. And for folks that want to know more about zero access, actually, we've got some white papers uh, that you can get on Naked Security from uh, our researcher, James White, who presented his uh, findings this year at uh, the Virus Bulletin Conference in Berlin. But, you know, Microsoft attacked the command and control and unfortunately, in quite short order, the crooks were able to, to regain control of everything. I mean, are, is there any way to win this battle or do we have to go about it a different way? I think the battle of, uh, of the botnets is, uh, is one that's going to be tough to win. Uh, essentially, you know, you've got a lot of, a lot of people that are, are behind these botnets and their, their sole reason for being is just to, you know, to, to infect as many hosts as possible. And, and when one thing gets shut down, they they'll change their tactics. They'll they'll you know shift their targets. Yeah, and we've we've seen some innovation there. I mean, one of the things we talk about in the report is some of these botnets are even now using Tor, uh, the Onion Router, which is uh, famous for you know the Silk Road and all this uh, darknet, as it's called in the press. But the crooks are starting to use it to hide where they're at. So these Microsoft style takedowns you know, won't even work. And I think that while I applaud organizations like Microsoft for attempting to, to take down any kind of centralized component of a criminal network, the reality is we've got to do a better job of protecting our PCs, right? Like we just got to not join the botnet because once these things are operating, they're, they're very difficult to wrest control away from the criminals. Yeah, that reminds me of the Zeus botnet uh, that's you know fairly familiar to to a lot of people that follow security. Zeus, Zbot, Zbot. Uh, so Zeus had its source leaked a little while ago, and uh, it basically spawned a lot of variants out there. And, and one specific variant, as we've seen of late, has been dropping CryptoLocker on a lot of of people. So you know we're looking at uh, sort of late 2013, and uh, it, th this really just spells trouble for a lot of people because not only did they have a security problem with Zeus, but uh, now they've basically compounded that problem. Problem with the the crypto locker issue, which is taking their data at ransom as well. And and speaking of botnets, I think there's some activity on the Carburp side of things as well this year. Yeah, Car Carburp certainly seems to be one of the uh, fast growing botnets out there. But you know, all of these things to a degree, uh, you know, when you mentioned crypto locker, kind of start to blend together a bit because this ecosystem, each component does a certain thing, right? And and the guys behind things like the ransomware malware that we see like CryptoLocker are paying per installation, right? So the guys that, that have an, a botnet that exists are kind of taking bids for what malware they're going to drop on the victim's computers. And someday, you know, it may be CryptoLocker if uh, those crooks are paying more money and other days it might be a spam bot or a denial of service tool. It's really hard to tell. The way people are getting infected with these things most often uh, is, is through 
drive-by web attacks, as we call them, which um, are, are, are really related to you know the bigger picture of exploit kits. The exploit kit scene changed a lot in 2013, didn't it? Yeah, the scene has definitely changed. Uh, what we've seen is with the the arrest of the Black Hole Kid auth- author Paunch, you know, Black Hole Kid was already on its way down, if you will, in terms of prevalence. But uh, we saw a lot of diversification with the the exploit kits that came out this year. These guys are real entrepreneurs. They they saw the success that exploit as a service was having with the Black Hole exploit kit, and uh, they basically took that and and decided to uh, emulate, if you will, that business model. And uh, while learning from each other as well. So, you know, while, while it was either price competitiveness or feature competitiveness, um, they kind of learned from each other. And uh, as they went through and iteratively tweaked their own products, they were able to, you know, put out these varying and different exploit kits out into the wild that uh, we've had to respond to. Yeah, it's a very competitive market, and, and we've seen similar trends in the past, right? I mean, if we even go back 10 years ago, when Partnerkas started selling Canadian pharmacy products through Spam, and, and once that business model was proven, it seems like every crook took that business model and wrapped it around their idea for distributing malware or Spams or whatever it was. And we certainly saw an explosion of that in 2013 with uh, the Neutrino Exploit Kit, uh, Red Kit. There's, there's a lot of them out there that are all vying. It kind of reminds me of a bit of... Of, you know the the old saying that you know nature abhors a vacuum right uh, whether paunch vanished in the day because he was arrested or whether it was a competitive market already that was uh competing for customers in the, in the exploit space one way or another a whole flood of people came in to fill that gap that when when paunch vanished yeah it's hard to say what the what market forces were at play when all of this came about, but uh, it's it's definitely uh, a fact that uh, you know exploit kits are here to stay, and and they're going to continue to be a a thing to watch for 2014. And and of course these these exploit kits are largely being installed on Linux boxes. I mean, you, you know the reality is about you know I think the numbers are still half and half of websites that are hosted on Internet Information Server, Microsoft's web serving platform, and Linux servers primarily running the Apache web server. And, you know, this is a real problem, right? I mean, the, these, these Windows exploits or Java exploits or Flash exploits aren't necessarily hosted on compromised Windows boxes. And, and in fact, the data is showing that the vast majority of infected websites that are directing people to these exploit kits to get infected are running Linux. And most of them are running Apache. Yeah, I think it's really interesting to see that because I think there's this sense in uh, in tech in general that you know it's it's Linux it's based off of you know, of Unix and you know there's this invincibility if you will to to that platform but in reality there really isn't it's uh, the platform is just as susceptible to a well-crafted attack as, as any other as we've clearly seen this year and uh, I think it's just it's time that we start turning you know our heads around and, and really focusing on on that particular platform because it is being used by the bad guys guys increasingly to serve out malware. Yeah, it's, I think it's a bang for a buck thing, right? I mean, if you can hit one Linux box that gets 10,000 visitors a day, that's pretty valuable for infecting people, even if, you know, you're not stealing banking credentials directly off the Linux box. And we, we know that Linux and Unix should be invincible. You can just ask Mac users. Uh, they'll tell you how perfect it is. But unfortunately, it's just not uh, it's just not the case. And 
And what we're seeing is the length of time that a Linux box stays infected is significantly longer than most Windows PCs because the, the protections just aren't there, right? I mean, Linux server admins are very rarely loading uh, any kind of antivirus to look for these PHP shells or malicious Apache modules uh, and, and, and the types of things that we're seeing hitting uh, uh, Linux boxes. And often they seem to have sort of this set it and forget it attitude, right? Like you prop up a Linux box, you load WordPress, you go, here's your blog and you walk away. And three years later, you're now vulnerable to a hundred different Red Hat exploits or WordPress exploits or Drupal exploits that nobody paid any attention to. And uh, unfortunately, this is putting the greater surfing public at risk, not just these Linux admins. And that's what's really unfortunate here, I think. Yeah. And I think what you're, if I could echo back what you're saying is there's a bit of a cavalier attitude towards security on, on Linux and on Apache specifically that uh, is, is leading to this problem. And what, what I found was interesting in reading the threat report was also when you look at the uh, the issue of, of web hosting services who are really operating on very slim margins. And when it comes time to remediate something, so you know they, they get an alert that, hey, there's a problem with this web server, they just fire up a new instance of, of that existing web server. That's admittedly a clean instance, but they haven't gone through the trouble of, of looking at you know what was the root cause of that original infection and how can we stop in the future? They just spin up a new instance just to you know, basically economies of scale kind of thing, right? We need just to keep these things up and running all the time. So we're not going to bother with uh, taking the time to actually look at what the problem was initially. Yeah, well, at $3.99 a month for hosting, you're not going to dedicate a lot of engineering resources to doing forensics. And, uh, you know, it kind of makes me think it's like, you know, your car gets stolen and, and you find the club uh, security tool laying on the ground broken in half and you go back and you buy another club and you buy another car and you put it in again and just like, gee, I hope that crook doesn't come back. He knows how to break the club. It doesn't make a lot of sense, but unfortunately, it is part of the economic reality of web hosting. And I mean, Android is a close cousin to Linux, and it's had a bit of a patchy security or, or maybe not patchy, depending which Android device you have, if you <laughs> want to make a joke of that. But, you know, I had the great privilege of traveling with some of our colleagues from Sophos Labs that do our Android research this year to Virus Bulletin. And one of the more disturbing things they shared from their research was the rate at which things are uh, accelerating in the sophistication of Android. Android malware is breakneck speed. I mean, we saw things like polymorphism and obfuscation and all these uh, 25 cent words in the Windows world take 10 or 15 years to develop into their more sophisticated variants um, that we see in modern Windows malware. And all of this has occurred in the Android platform in only the last year or two. So it seems to be they've learned the lessons well from uh, other well-developed malware platforms and immediately are applying all those lessons to, choose to further victimize Android users. I guess, you know, you work a lot in mobile security. What's been your experience? Yeah, absolutely. I think uh, we are definitely seeing, again, it's 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 one of these things that lessons were learned previously on other platforms, but increasingly, uh, as you know, we don't need to tell our listeners this, but the, the, these little devices we're carrying in our pockets are full-fledged computers, and they, they do the same, you know, they, they have the same processing power in some cases as uh, some of the older computers that, that we worked on back in the beginnings of our careers. You know, one example, one really great example of this new wave of malware, if you will, is, is the Android 
Defender malware, which you know, we're calling the, a hybrid between fake AV and ransomware. And you can see that uh, you know, they, they've learned the lessons on the on the Windows platform, if you will, on how to do fake AV and how to do ransomware, where they have really slick graphics. They've got, you know, they, they make it look and feel as if it's a it's a real application. But then they also do the, the ransomware side of things where it just basically takes control over your phone entirely. And you can't you can't make a phone call, send a text, uninstall the application, use your browser unless you actually pay these crooks a hundred dollars to use the application and uh, that was some great research that was done by one of our uh, threat researchers in in Sophos Labs. Yeah and that's not the only way they make money. Uh, one of my favorite pieces of the threat report which by the way we've mentioned a few times if you're interested in downloading it you can go to sophos.com slash threat report is the anatomy of a hacked mobile. Uh, you know we actually break down the different ways that crooks profit from putting malicious garbage on your cell phone and uh, we don't want to make this an Android only um, show. I mean there there are things that attack other platforms as well but you know to be fair the time energy and threat exposure that we see currently uh, in the mobile landscape is largely focused on Android and that's why we spend so much time on it. Last but not least we shouldn't forget maybe the oldest most profitable scam that's ever occurred uh, in our in our space uh, which is spam. I mean, spam is still around, and I, I joke uh, when I when I do some of my presentations that you know, oh, year over year, spam dropped thirty percent, so we only get about a billion a day now. Um, I mean, it, you know, it's still a giant problem, right? You couldn't turn off your spam filter just because there may be less email spam today than there was a year ago. And we saw a resurgence this year of the pump and dump scams. Maybe you could refresh people's memory on exactly what pump and dump is, because I mean, sometimes we use these these industry terms, and it's a bit confusing for folks. Yeah, so pump and dump largely refers to the uh, the act of sending a piece of spam out for a particular penny stock in which the crooks have invested some money in and the idea is to get other people interested in the stock as well when that interest generates buying activity the price of the stock will go up and then the crooks can then sell at a higher level and then basically bring the stock right back down because they they have such a controlling interest in the stock that's right and, and I mean these these pump and dump things aren't anything new but we saw some really interesting trends this year in uh, uh, huge waves of these things over time and, and it clearly must be one or two concerted groups because when there's lots of criminals involved in an activity like say Canadian pharmacy spam uh, you see a dull roar all the time it's a percentage of spam that you see all the time and, and there's a bit of fluctuation in it but if one guy stops because he's made enough money or he went to jail, you don't see a giant dip. Uh, you see a little, you know, a little tailing off, but there's enough people involved in it that you continually see it. And with this, we saw these giant waves. In fact, I think as, as recently as September of 2013, it was averaging around 20% of all spam coming into our spam traps were related to these penny stock uh, pump and dumps. And on some days, it was even upwards of 50% of the total spam volume. So, you know, just because it's an old scam and you'd think that by now people would realize that it's not always wise to click a link to a cat video or it's not always wise to think that your bank is giving you a $40,000 rebate and all you need to do is enter your account number. Somehow people still think they're going to make a million bucks in the stock market based on a spam message. You know, these things are are being distributed through these botnets that you and I talked about earlier, right? I mean, the Fair IT or Ferret, um, you know, installs Zeus and Zeus installs CryptoLocker or Zeus installs uh, Cinewall, which is uh, closely associated with spam distribution. And in fact, like the CryptoLocker stuff you mentioned earlier, people are often infected with more than one thing at once. 
Correct, and like anything retro, it's bound to become cool again at some point, right? Yeah, I guess uh, bell bottoms and pump and dump scans. Well, so you know, you'd think that after. 13, 14 years of dealing with the spam problem uh, in the industry and in most organizations, we'd have a grip on this by now. I mean, what are these guys doing to try to defeat our spam filters after the amount of tuning and sophistication we built into them? Yeah, it's interesting you say that because uh, I'm sitting here, it's December, it's uh, in, in Canada and there's some snow on the ground. And so one of, and one of the techniques that the spammers use is called uh, snowshoe spamming. And uh, it's a technique by which they, they attempt to spread the load of spam across a broader area of, of IP addresses, if you will, so that uh, the amount of spam coming through from any one given node or host is not noticed. So uh, instead of having this one deluge from a particular IP address, you're going to get these spikes from individual IP addresses. So you might have you know, a, a, a big chunk of spam coming out from one particular IP address, but then it will stop and then it will shift to a different IP address, sometimes in the same ASN or in the same neighborhood, but uh, it will attempt to spread the load that way. And, and largely, again, through botnets, it will be able to uh, accomplish that uh, result by shifting from one host to the next to the next. And if it's given sufficient bots in a botnet, you're able to accomplish uh, this snowshoe technique quite effectively. Yeah, snowshoeing isn't necessarily new, but it's certainly something that has become standard practice for spammers these days because uh, folks like us and the other people that try to protect your inbox uh, like to rely on reputation. You know, if we know somebody's a bad actor, then it's easy for us to provide protection for you and make sure that that bad actor isn't able to contact you. Fortunately, it doesn't defeat our techniques. Uh, we're quite proud of our spam protection abilities, but it certainly makes life harder for us. And, and I guess that's always part of this crazy cat and mouse game that we play between uh, the, 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 the crooks and the legitimate folks. So I'm really pleased that you spent the time with us today to listen to the fantastic research that we've presented in the Sophos Security Threat Report 2014. Our folks work very hard on it. You can get your own copy. I encourage you to read it at sophos.com slash threat report. And we cover all the different aspects of how the crooks are being smarter, shadier, and stealthier than ever. As always, if you want the latest news, you can get that at nakedsecurity.sophos.com. And for more of our podcasts, we encourage you to uh, subscribe to our RSS. You can find us on iTunes. Or if you'd like to do it via your browser and check out what we have to offer, you can find all of our podcasts at soundcloud.com slash sophos security. And until next time, stay secure.